You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast. Your number one podcast for Florida Gator football. Scared money don't make money. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Getting Swamped. This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, and SEC Media Days coming up this week in the ATL and Friday Night Lights. Also on the forefront for Florida Gator recruiting. But before I introduce the guest I have on this episode of Getting Swamped, I want to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane, as I call it, the ode to fired coaches here. But uh, some interesting history I do have lined up for you here recruiting-wise. So let's start when Will Buschamp was hired after Urban had quote-unquote health issues. (laughs) Will came into the number 12th ranked recruiting class consisting of one five-star three top 100 prospects, and seven lower-ranked four-star prospects. However, his bump class would be ranked third nationally with three five-stars, three top 100 four-stars, and nine lower-ranked four-star recruits. Jim McElwain, you know, peanut butter and jelly guy, was first hired. He finished Muschamp's recruiting class with the 21st-ranked class consisting of two five-stars, zero top 100 four-stars, and two lower-ranked four-stars under the top 100. Jim McElwain's bump class, however, would finish 12th nationally with zero five stars, four top 100 prospects, and three four-star prospects, including the number five Juco prospect and number one Juco running back, Mark Thompson. So not a bad haul, I guess, for a bump class, ranked 12th. You kind of want it ranked a little bit more, especially in the SEC, because nationally it may look pretty well but if you're recruiting in the sec that's probably good for like sixth or seventh so yeah you want to bump the numbers up there and unfortunately that's what got jim McElwain fired so when jim McElwain was fired dan mullen we all know him uh mr evaluate he finished McElwain's class with four top 100 prospects nine lower ranked four-star prospects including the number three juco prospect and number one juco tight end Lucas Kroll. His bump class, however, the following year was ranked ninth nationally with zero five stars, four top 100 players, 12 lower ranked four star players, and a bunch of those kids that didn't qualify or had to go to the Juco routes. This class, you know, didn't really wind up the way that it was portrayed as the number nine class because a lot of those kids like Chris Steele transferred back uh, to to California there and uh, a couple of guys got in trouble. Uh, Some guys didn't qualify. So really, that class was pretty beat up, man. It was probably maybe the 20th ranked recruiting class. But you did pull a good transfer out of there, Jonathan Grenard, who proved to be a wrecking force for that defensive line. Everybody knows that uh, first game of the 2019 season against Miami. Good Lord, I think we had like a million sacks that came and pressured the quarterback just about at every play. So that was a... uh, a game of reckoning there, but uh, now you fast forward, Dan Mullen gets fired, and now Billy Napier steps in for his tenure. Billy Napier finished Dan Mullen's recruiting class with a 17th ranked recruiting class. That's a little bit better than Jim McElwain, what he did. And, uh, you know, Dan Mullen did a little bit of a better job with the 14th ranked class, but of course, some of those kids didn't qualify either. But now Billy Napier, 17th ranked recruiting class with one five-star, one top 100 four-star, Five lower-ranked four-star recruits, but, you know, it took a slew of transfer portal players, being like Ricky Perzel, Osiris Torrance, Jalen Kimber, Montreal Johnson, Cameron Waits, Jack Miller, and Tyrone Truesdale, actually, who Tyrone Truesdale was already kind of already transferred here to begin with, but, uh, and now so far, Billy Napier has the 22nd-ranked recruiting class, consisting of nine lower-ranked four-star players, and five of those four-star players are ranked inside of the top 250, with two being inside of that top one 
50. So right now, heading into July, me being in a lot of Twitter spaces here recently, there seems to be some concern over where recruiting is headed in it probably is taken a little bit out of proportion just because of the way Miami is recruiting out of their minds right now, but there's been some concern from the fan base. So joining me today on Getting Swamped is a guy I've known for a long time who has studied recruiting trends over the years and even decades, and this is why he's dubbed the five-star nerd. Bill Sykes will be joining me to discuss where recruiting is trending under the new coaching regime, where Florida could capitalize, and what the future looks like heading down the stretch. And we will have that interview on Getting Swamped coming up. Need a sign for your company, your man cave, your live stream or podcast? Give my guy Brandon White a shout out at White & Sons Wood Carving. He has the best handcrafted signs nationally, all custom fit for your needs. With state-of-the-art paint and epoxy, you can have that glow of your sign too with some custom LEDs as a package as well. Give him a shout out on Twitter at WS Woodcarving. You can also follow him on Twitch and check out his Facebook page at White and Sons Woodcarving. Top of the line signs made from scratch. College programs must be competitive in name, image, and likeness. It impacts current athletes and affects the decisions of recruits. And Gator fans can put Florida at the forefront of NIL. The Gator Collective is leading the charge, uniting fans and student-athletes like never before. Commit for exclusive content, interactions, and events which bring you closer than ever to your favorite players. Also, by joining the Gator Collective, you're empowering these student-athletes to build relationships and develop skills that go far beyond just making money. You're providing an avenue for these Gators to excel in life. NIL will change the landscape of college sports if we can't be left behind. Gator Nation, do your part by joining the Gator Collective today at www.thegatorcollective.com. You're listening to the Getting Swamped Podcast with your host, David Soderquist. Your number one source for all things college football and Florida Gators. All right, folks, joining me on Getting Swamped is none other than the Encyclopedia of Recruiting, the five-star nerd himself, Bill Sykes. And if you don't know what an encyclopedia is, for you guys that are like 18, 19, and 20, that's something we used to use, like like a handheld encyclopedia, but now we use the internet. So Bill Sykes, the five-star nerd. Bill, how is, uh, how's your vacation going, man? Oh, it's going pretty well, man. Just hanging around in the house, and I got a sore back, so I'm trying to nurse that a little bit like an old man. I know all about sore backs. My sciatica is, uh, it becomes a problem when you get to our age around 37, 38 or something like that. So, uh, I can, uh, I can, uh, relate to you there on the, uh, sciatica, the lower back, whatever those kind of issues are, but man, Bill, we're almost halfway through the recruiting cycle and, uh, Florida's recruiting class is sitting around the 20th in the nation, flirting with that 20 number, uh, getting some top 150 guys in here, some top 250 guys. But one thing that's been lacking right now, which it's still July, no top 100, no top 50 guys, Bill, you've seen, uh, you know, some of these recruiting battles unfold with Miami and Florida state, the guys you're competing within the state to take back over the state of Florida. And right now, well, Miami's getting the best of everyone now, aren't they? They definitely are winning some big battles. Uh, how how high they climb down the finish remains to be seen. Uh, they've you know they've got a, their share of three stars in the class as well, but I think they got some crystal ball predictions in there for another five star today. Uh, they're they're definitely a threat to creep into at least the six to eight range, maybe the top five, but I think that might be a little much depending on how they close. 
but you never know if they win a few battles um, that we don't expect them to, it could happen. Yeah, it's absolutely. There. I think right now they're seventh right now in the 24 seven sports composite. I don't know where any other sides, not off the top of my head here, but uh, yeah, Miami, man, uh, we all knew Mario Cristobal going to Miami was going to impact recruiting there in the state of Florida. Uh, but man, NIL's really doing a number. And I mean, I'm, this isn't just Miami winning battles over Florida. I mean, they're winning battles over Georgia. They're winning battles over Alabama. They're winning battles over the most prolific schools that usually recruit elite every cycle. So, you know, Mario Cristobal has kind of thrown that wrench in there for, you know, Miami and all the other schools that are trying to out-recruit in the state of Florida. Unfortunately, Florida has happens to be one of those, but you're starting to see Florida lose some battles to Florida State. What's up with that, Bill? I mean, they definitely lost a couple of key battles for for offensive linemen uh, to FSU. Um and, and that is a position I'm a little bit concerned about. It's probably after quarterback, the one that needs the most attention on Florida's roster. I mean, they need elite talent everywhere, just like every team does. But, um, you know, as I wrote about in the spring, when I wrote the uh, blocking progress article on read and reaction, uh, the offensive line is a, a long-term problem for Florida. And so to see Lucas Simmons, to see Rod Kearney, uh, two guys that were highly rated offensive line prospects, Florida coveted uh, that were from, generally speaking, Gator-friendly areas, one Clay County near Jacksonville, and uh, I believe Lucas Simmons was either out of Tampa or Clearwater. Uh, that one, Those sting. They both sting. I mean, it's, it's certainly not over. Uh, there are other people on the board, but you, you hate to see that to a school like FSU that is, is certainly not setting the world on fire on the field right now and really not a recruiting juggernaut either. Um, it, so it just it's just really not what you hope to see, and, and hopefully Florida can rebound. Right, and I kind of answered it a little bit with the Mario Cristobal sentiment, but I want to kind of get your opinion a little bit too. Uh, what What do you think's the issue for them not landing these bigger name prospects that are on the board against some of these schools that they should be winning against? I mean, you know, kids going to Michigan State over Florida, going to Florida State over Florida. I mean, what do you think's the issue right now? I, I mean, I think that you've got a couple things at play. I mean, first of all, I do think uh, that coming into the situation and trying to get into that elite level where you need to be to typically to build a championship roster. It's a, it's a tall order uh, being where Florida's program is at this point. Um, I, personally, I just want to see them show tangible progress. I think you're looking at this at this point where Florida's had a few failed coaches in a row and you have to say, okay, look, maybe it's too much to expect to have this Kirby smart, like impact and recruiting uh, Nick Saban kind of class, but you, you don't want them to finish where they were under Mullen and McElwain. Right. Uh, and so you don't have to win every battle we hoped for down the stretch, but we do need to hope they win some. I think it starts with Kumani McLean. I know things are kind of being hard fought for Malik Bryant right now. They're going to have to step up to the plate and close the deal. They got a great uh, defensive line board, but they got to show that they can beat out Ohio State for John Walker. Um, Jordan Hall, uh, another one out of the Jacksonville area, is actually from Duval County, uh, really nice looking defensive line prospect. Um, that could be a late riser that, you know, Florida State, I think, has evolved with. They're going to have to they're going to have to get that done. And it, it, I mean, honestly, it's not going to be an excuse at the end of the day if they don't at least close on some of those battles. I'm just trying to illustrate there are some battles out there against these schools that they can win down the stretch. I don't think it's going to get to the finish line and they're going to say, well, they didn't win any. Right now, it is a little thin. They seem to be competing more against um, and winning battles versus the Penn States, the world and and, you know, those type of programs in Tennessee. 
but that can certainly look a lot differently at signing day. Um, I don't mean to dodge the question. I mean, as far as what's going on, though, I mean, I think there's a few recruiting struggles at certain positions. I think that there's still some uh, some newness involved with how they're going to approach NIL and, uh, and and how they're going to work around the challenges they face. You know, fear of the NCAA and you know how they how much aggression do they want to show and and um, how they want to structure NIL deals for recruits. I think it's new territory. And maybe they're erring on the side of caution and we'll see how that works. And there's a risk reward to everything. Um, It it is a little bit complicated right now, Uh, but we're going to have to see a strong finish just like we would any year. Um, But I think that strong finish at this point is necessary to show progress rather than to get at the elite level. I think it would take some serious surprises down, down the stretch to get into that, you know, Georgia stratosphere. Uh, I think that's probably a bridge too far of expectation wise uh, for this class at this point. Right. And it's not really saying <laughs> that it's going to be an unsuccessful season if Florida doesn't recruit at an elite level or anything like that. But recruiting gives hope, right? It gives hope for the future and the future of winning games. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into wins. But I think Dave Waters said he's like, elite recruiting won't translate into wins, but you're not winning without it. So, it makes a lot of sense here. And, and then you you look at people and they say, well, if we have a winning season um, and maybe say Miami has a really bad season, oh, it, it might help improve and it might do this and all that. But now when NIL is in here and it throws in that wrench, I mean, money talks, man. So the next question I have to ask you, man, is, is say Florida has a 10-win season or shoot, even makes it to the playoff. Do you think the season playing out will help their recruiting down the stretch? Not much, no. Not, I mean, really, hardly at all. I mean, it, these kids are signing up um, in mid-December, about the time the season ends. I mean, if they win a championship, maybe they snag one. I, I mean, but and that's not to say it doesn't benefit you. I mean, generally speaking, on-field performance does matter. It does not typically matter as far as a negative. Uh, in, in the bump cycle, this first full year of recruiting that, that Napier has. Uh, but any benefit you do reap, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little under the weather, uh, the benefit you do reap uh, that strengthens your pitch is going to be more for those class of 2024 kids because you can hammer that in all year um, about how well you did and that you exceeded expectations. But as a last-minute factor, it's just not going to make much of a difference, I don't think. And the only exception to that, again, I think if it was an extreme level of success, you just blow the doors off of everybody. Or if you come out and completely tank. I mean, if you only win three, four games, then that could cost you a recruiter too. But even then, you're mostly immune uh, because you can always blame Mullen for that. <clears throat> yeah, that that is true. And speaking of – just talking about records. I mean, if you go back and look what Jimbo pulled off, he goes eight and four. Uh, well, he does beat Alabama, though. He does beat Alabama, but he goes eight and four last year and he pulls off this historic eight five star class and he goes on this tangent about how it wasn't money and all of that. We all know it's a, but it's a load of crap. We all know that. But you see where NIL is starting to help these teams out that aren't successful or that need to get over the hump. Like Miami, they haven't won anything since the 80s. So, they're itching to be good again. So now you you throw in Ruiz, a couple other billionaires in there, and now they're just throwing it out there. And, and you know, you see it all across the board. It's like 
do you really think after Miami's had the seasons that they've had, and, and, and Mario Cristobal, he's a great recruiter, don't get me wrong, but do you think that, honestly, all those kids that, that were, you know, vying for Georgia, Alabama, all those other top prolific schools chose Miami just because, oh, well, Mario Cristobal's here? I just think he's recruiting well, man. At the end of the day, and the, now the money certainly is a factor. Don't don't get me wrong, um, but I think more than anything else, we're seeing what an elite recruiter does in a setting that's ripe for it. And Miami is ripe for that. They've been down. It's a, a it's the most talent rich area in the country. Um, those kids are loyal to their area, and he is selling the vision. And he does have the financial part. Uh, it is backing, but I'm telling you, it's not all that. The guy can flat out recruit. He's been a historic recruiter. Uh, he's built programs, won championships. I mean, probably the, I mean, he's the most, he's this year's, you know, Kirby smart when everybody was saying, oh, George is a house of cards. Kirby can't do this. I mean, it's the guy may not ever be a great head coach, may not win it all, may not win it all at Miami, but he can flat out recruit and he's going to improve that football program. Uh, no doubt about that. It's just how much. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I kind of agree with you there. So what do you say to the Florida Gator fan that says, you know, be patient, wait for recruiting to happen? Should we be patient? And and, and me, personally, I'm going to go ahead and answer this myself, personally. I say yes, be patient, because I don't want people coming after me. I'm just asking you the question in general. What do you have to say to the Florida Gator fan that says be patient? I think it depends on what you mean by that. Um, just with the coaching I mean, staff, like be patient with the coaching staff, let them do their process and maybe things will be better in the end. I mean, sure. Process matters. Um, and I think as long as we see good process, I, I will be patient to a degree. Uh, it's certainly not time to throw in the towel on, on this recruiting class um, or the Napier era. I mean, he hasn't coached a game. Uh, nobody has signed a letter of intent. And so we've got to wait and see how, how they cross the finish line. Now, but at the same time, we're going to learn a lot uh, by this recruiting class and from the data that it supplies, uh, because you have to remember that these kids right now uh, that are about to sign, they're going to play their first season of football in Napier's second season. And they typically, when you look at the general population of SEC recruits year after year, they most commonly emerge to their peak performance around their their third to fourth year. Okay. So now there are some, especially the higher rated kids that will emerge sooner at a peak level. Um, but that being the case, in the case it's most common for these kids to, they're going to emerge at their peak between Napier's fourth and fifth year, because if they're 2023, 20, let's see three, four, five, six. Yeah. So it's, it's not like there's a whole lot of time after this class for him to amass the talent that he needs to succeed within the window he's going to get. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's just the timing is always against you in the SEC. And, and like I've said before, uh, only two coaches have won their first SEC championship uh, after year three since Spurrier when his first one at Florida. That was Tommy Turbeville in 04 and uh, Phil Fulmer, uh, who, who uh, back in 97. And so it's very uncommon for patients to be rewarded, uh, patient fan bases to be rewarded. And, and, but at the same time, you've got to give the guy a chance. You've got to hope that uh, the portal and the changes that are, that are happening in college football provide a mechanism for him to beat those odds. I mean, we, we knew that going in, that he was climbing an uphill balance, 
uh, battle, excuse me, uphill battle uh, as far as talent to to amass the kind of talent he needs to win the championship. Um, it's not going to be easy. The odds have been against him since day one, just like, like they're against every coach. Um, but having said that, I think there's there's degrees of the patience you give. Like we have to all be fully patient right now because no results are in. Let's wait till he coaches this season. Let's wait till he gets his class. But then after that, I think you start to shape how much patience you're going to give based off the process of results we see. And he's going to get a little less patience each year. And by that year four, he's going to probably run out. That's just the way it works for, for SEC coaches. If the process looks exceedingly good, if the recruiting is continuing to improve, I think there's a chance he gets year five. But if there's not, he'll be in trouble. That's just the way it is. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so at least we're both on the same page. But I wanted to ask you that just to, to get that out there. And I was going to ask you, what do you say to the people that say, why aren't we landing recruits and they're not patient? But you kind of already answered that question. So I'm not even going to throw that one out there for you, Bill. But uh, I do want to ask you, you know, coming down the stretch here, you know, getting into December, January, February, where do you finally see Florida's recruiting class at the end of the cycle? I kind of asked Nick this last week. I got his perspective there. I want to get yours. Where do you see Florida's recruiting class this year ending up at modestly? Well, that's a hard thing to predict, okay? And especially when you talk about rankings and things like that, and they they fluctuate. And, and the reason why I say that, if you look at the trends in college football recruiting, uh, the scores have been inflating. And, and typically you do just see a year-over-year inflation over the years. The scores keep getting higher. Uh, talent keeps getting accumulated. Ratings kind of inflate over the years. Uh, there's more and more four stars. Uh, but the last two years, we've seen a little different trend. And what we've noticed is that teams one through five have continued to consolidate power. They've continued to raise their scores, uh, sign better and better classes. But teams six through 25 have generally signed a little bit smaller classes and subsequently amassed smaller class scores or lower class scores. And the reason that I suspect they're doing that is they're saving a couple of spots um, for the portal. Teams one through five don't have to do that. If you're Texas A&M, Georgia, Alabama, those type of schools, they're going right down the list, you know, whether it be 23 to 25 players, whatever, they're finding people to fill out all those spots with supreme talent, not in every case. I know they signed some three-stars. I'm just saying that they're getting the guys that they want to justify taking a high school player rather than aim for a transfer. Um, but because of that, <clears throat> a lower score could be better, achieve a better ranking than it would have three to four years ago. Uh, and I think that the range we look for for Florida to say they've pretty much closed out as strong as we can reasonably expect them without a major surprise would probably be in the 270 to 275 range uh, class score. If they if they get any higher than that, then they've probably had a couple of kids take major leaps in their rating or they've, they've pulled off uh, McLean or uh, a Baxter type guy. And then in that scenario, you're looking north of seven or eight or eight or seven or eight or maybe six. Um, but if they if they land in that 270 to 275 range, I would anticipate they could probably I think seven, eight, nine is probably good. If they don't, if they were to lose, if they start losing your John Walkers, your Will Normans, Jordan Halls, those type of guys, if they are Mizell, if they start missing more than one or two of those guys, or God forbid, McLean, now you're into the 260s. Now you're probably looking eight to 
12. I mean, last year, 266 was good for eight, whereas that took 280 in 2017. You know what I'm saying in the composite? Yeah. Um, it's just really hard to to anticipate that. Or it's hard to factor, you can factor the fact that um, counter limits are suspended for this year. So you could see a counter force to that where teams sign more. So it's really, you can't get too caught up in the ratings. I think it's going to be much more important to kind of analyze how the class is constructed and um, the nature of the the top end recruits in the class and its depth. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, I, I would, if I had to guess though, if you asked me for a range, I would say probably the best chance is like eight to 12. And I'd probably aim for the midpoint at this point, somewhere around nine or 10 is probably the most likely. Yeah, a good thing you brought that up too, because um, say Napier, maybe they land 15 or 14 this cycle, right? But what if like somebody like a Van Jefferson type or a Grenard type lands into the portal, or you pull a couple of those guys, kind of like what he did with Louisiana Lafayette's transfers, but I mean, they they basically just followed him over there. So I don't really, I, I guess you can count that obviously, but like they, you know, you got to recruit these kids from other schools to come to your school in the portal as well. So I think I would be happy if he landed in that eight and 10 range, I'd be happy anyway. But man, if you pull some guys from the portal, cause we don't even know what the portal is going to look like. And I think they have to what is it April or May or something like that to play for the next year in the portal. I, yeah. I can't even remember at this point. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. I check, but, but yeah, I mean, you can't, you do have to factor in what they do in the portal. I mean, if you're getting, if you're getting people like Ben Jefferson or Joe Burrow, obviously that's a, a boom to your, your prospects. And if they've got a lot of eligibility left, it can impact your long-term forecast, you know, but I, you know, I, as far as ranking, if it's seven or eight, I think that's tangible progress. Uh, and this is single point analysis. Again, we can't just look at that, but I mean, if you're nine to 12, I, that's going to be a hard swallow, pill to swallow for a lot of fans. Um, I yeah. mean, that's just now, certainly I think we're looking at better takes to this point uh, than we saw in Mullen's fraudulent, number nine, 2019 class. I mean, he had guys that were like, still had 10 years to serve in prison, you know, <laughs> or like and, and, and ones that are waiting for their leg right? transplant, you know, but I mean, yeah. So I think there would probably be some inferred progress just from the nature of the, of the takes because they do look solid so far. Um, but things need to get a lot better, a lot better. Yeah. They, they have not been close uh, despite what people tell you. And so do we really want a scenario where they say, well, this is a little better and lame for next year. I mean, it's going to get harder next year, not easier. And that's not to say it can't be, be done. That's not to say that improvement can't occur and they can't make a, a major jump in, in year three. It, it has and can happen. Um, but it's not going to get easier once he starts putting losses on tape. Right. Because then those other coaching staffs are going to be all over those recruits and saying, see, he doesn't use his tight end or he doesn't know how to run this scheme and you're perfect for that. And you're better off with us. I mean, it's just how recruiting works. Yeah. You, you really want to have, especially this season, you really want to have a good winning season. You don't have to go to a playoff. You don't have to win a national championship, but you got to really do something. And, and hopefully Anthony Richardson's that guy is, as you said before with Billy Napier, he's not going to take somebody that's not going to qualify though either. So you, you know, you're getting a good quality kid when he comes to the university of Florida, especially when it comes to grades as well. And if you do look at the recruiting class, as you said, compared to Dan Mullins, the blue chip ratio is higher so far. I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be in the 70s when the class ends, but so far, so good. 
I think we kind of, as you said, be patient, see how the class unfolds, see how the, we could just see how the season goes and see if it does affect it in some sort of way. Doubtful that it will with NIL, but we'll see. But I think right now as a Florida Gator fan, it, it does suck to see Miami getting all the elite recruits and, and us missing out on a lot of top prospects, but you never know how that's going to change coming down the stretch. You don't know how the portal's going to shake out, and you don't even really know um, how these kids are going to be thinking towards the end of the year as well. Maybe there's a flip on National Signing Day or a flip on Early Signing Day with all these NIL deals thrown around. I mean, you've seen Miami do it to us. They got Citizen at the last second. They got that Jackson kid at the last second. I mean, we, we could do it too, hopefully, maybe down the stretch. But uh, I don't know, man. But I, I do want to get your final assessment, though. I know you said you love this staff, and I and I know this too. I talked to Bill outside of just what we're doing right now. He does love this staff. Do you see them pulling out of the hole we've been in for the past eight, nine years and bringing Florida back to the elite recruiter it used to be? That is a difficult question for me to answer at this point. And, and you have to understand that I look at things objectively and say, okay, what is the data telling me? Right now, I'd say there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you typically see coaches that are able to accomplish that kind of feat to do so very quickly in recruiting. And I understand it's a different time right now. I understand that NIL has changed the dynamics of how players are recruited. I understand all that. But if you're just asking me, does it look like they're going to return them uh, to an elite recruiting status? I don't see the evidence. I just don't. And does that mean it can't happen? No. It could, maybe that they've got, they're going to unleash uh, an unseen strategy of NIL and the way they've organized it. Um, and I could be singing a very different tune next year. But if I, I just don't have reason, I can't point to evidence yet to say no. And I have to be honest about that. I'm not seeing it yet. I like the staff. I, I see what people are doing, working hard behind the scenes to make it happen. But the evidence is not there yet. Could it be there in a month from now? Yes. Could it be there at signing day? Yes. But if you're putting me on the spot right now and say, do, does the evidence point to that? Not yet. I'm at a loss for words. I would say truth hurts. But it, it, right now, I mean, it is an honest God truth. We, we've seen, we see evidence in blue chip ratio, but that's about it. I mean, we well, let, me, let me comment on that. And, yeah. and that is a... Okay, so a couple problems with blue chip ratio, and I like it. I know, buddy. I'm about to listen to a Buddy Elliott podcast covered three. I guess he was talking about it and how Florida's recruited well enough yeah. to win a championship based on blue chip ratio. Blue chip ratio number one, it, it could be a real high mark for this class. Uh, when you look at Florida's recruiting classes over history, the highest they've ever been was 2010, I believe. Um, or actually, I'm sorry, that's non transition. Um, they had 75% in 2006. They were 78.5% in 2010, 70.8% uh, in 2019. But I might actually have to update that one. Uh, they may they may shatter all that this year. Yeah. I mean, if they were to land 20 out of 23 prospects, they were four stars, it could exceed that. And that is a good measure to say how much quality depth do we have in the class. Like, these are not bad takes. We didn't have to find hidden gems, which can be good because every coach finds a couple of years in there, but generally speaking, it says this is the kind of roster we're building. It's fairly high level from a national perspective. But what nobody seems to mention is that uh, back in the day, there were far, far fewer 
um, three-star players. And they have updated, I believe, some of the databases uh, to include on three, where you won't see this in the records now. Uh, but a good example of this is Mike Pouncey back in uh, 2007 was a three-star who was rated, rated 279 national. Well, these days, I think like down towards 400 is a four-star. Yeah. And so what you're diluting there is you're, you're suggesting that players 36 through 380 or whatever are in the same level of talent. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. Okay. Because you're talking about some like comparing players at the top end of that, that have about an expected return of about a, um, or about a 35 to 40% chance, I believe of um, elite level success versus somebody that has like 10% chance. So it's like, <laughs> triple the value, you know, and um, as such, because it's a it's a um, a player band that has expanded so much, it doesn't carry the meaning that it used to. Uh, but not only that, it, it, when we we look at blue chip ratio as a single point analysis, we ignore the fact that it's the elite prospects that really drive um, the highest levels of success for teams because they have such a disproportionate chance of elite success. Um, when you sign several of them, you give your team a disproportionate chance of elite level team success. And, and that's why top five classes are so important because the top five scores are driven by those elite prospects. And so is blue chip per, um, ratio good? Yes, absolutely. And if you get over a certain level in the almost competitive conference or in, or in the Pac-12, you're, you're primed for a title. Yeah, but if you're going up against a team with 25 stars, like you do in the SEC several times a week, I guess um, Alabama. Right, Georgia. So that, that's probably a little bit of exaggeration, but you're gonna you're gonna face Alabama, you're gonna face Georgia. LSU is always loaded. It, it's just when you when you show up with your your guys that are a bunch of solid players versus 10 to 20 players that are great or have great chances of success, well, you're going to be in a lot gun a couple times a year. At least. And that's what, that's been Florida's problem. Uh, surely, or certainly under Dan Mullen, he also was starting to lose games. He shouldn't. And I understand we've had that problem too. Um, but the better talent you have, the less perfect the coach has to be. And, and the, the more you start to focus on those, you know, 250, 350 players is the bread and butter of your recruiting rather than the Tebow's, Harvin's, Jarvis Moss, Andre Caldwell, Chris Leak, and I could go on and on and on. Um, well, the less you, a margin of error you're going to have. And so it, it's not only that they raise the ceiling, but they also raise the floor. And um, so, yes, blue chip ratio is good. It's a good measure to say we have a lot of good players. Yes, it is something that correlates well to victory in SEC. It's just it's not enough. And so at the end of the this, this cycle, will we point to that as a point of celebration? I think so. And I think that is rightful. I think it's a tremendous accomplishment, especially if he ends up with the, the highest blue chip ratio ever in Florida history. Uh, that could be an amazing thing, uh, but it doesn't tell the entire story. And we'll have to kind of dig deeper than that to find out what that is. All right, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that point up about the top 100, top 50 players and the blue chip ratio and all that, because if you look back, you go out of 2006 all the way to 2008, even 2010, even when the Florida team wasn't that good, they were still beating the teams that, that, that they had to beat. Like they were still beating Kentucky, blowing them out. They were still blowing out Tennessee. They were still blowing out Vanderbilt. I mean, you saw them be successful against teams they're supposed to beat. And right now you're not really seeing that with Florida. I mean, last year, obviously we didn't have a great season. And, and those kids gave up towards the end. Everybody knows that. But like 
You're supposed to beat South Carolina. You're supposed to beat Missouri. You're supposed to beat Vanderbilt. You're supposed to beat Florida State. You're supposed to beat all those teams right now. And we're 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 seeing close games with them, and that's not that's something you don't want to see. Now, if we had more top fifty, top one hundred players, it, we could afford mistakes. We can afford to uh, go three and out three times in a row and probably still beat them by thirty points with top one hundred and top fifty players. But now you, you just don't see that. And I think you brought up a good point about blue chip ratio too, and the uh, you know how they extended from like two seventy all the way to what is it four hundred now? See, it's close. Yeah, I think at least down to the three eighty three ninety range. Yeah, and that's why I like having you on and asking you about this because, I mean, if you guys don't know Bill Sykes, man, he is a guru when it comes to recruiting. I call him the recruiting encyclopedia because he's so good at what he does there in this category. And, uh, I mean, you just bring up really good points all around, and and that's why I really like to have you on and discuss recruiting, especially right now with the way that it is and NIL and a bunch of Florida fans on Twitter. I see it all the time. A lot of them are down the dumps, understandable. Uh, some of them are okay with it. A lot of people are okay. I'm, I'm content right now because it's only July. I'll see how it folds out into February. But, I mean, as, as he said, you got to give them time. You got to be patient. And I'm one of those guys that's going to be patient. And I hope the rest of everybody is too. But it's really hard to be patient when you've suffered for so many years in recruiting. So I do get the people that are out there that are impatient as well. So, Bill... Fun having you on, man. Uh, I'm glad you were able to take a vacation. Sorry you're sick, man. Um, I know you're getting over a cold and, uh, you know, you, you've been coughing a little bit here and there, but I do appreciate the time that you took out today to join me on getting swamped once again. Oh, it's no problem, man. I, I sound worse than I feel right now, but um, it was awesome to be on and um, we'll do it again soon. And uh, I, I do want to be clear, though. Uh, for those fans that aren't patient, please don't be tweeting at Katie Turner or the coaching <laughs> staff. Let them do their job, and they're going to have accountability when when the time comes. But they're they're working hard right now, and I do think they deserve our our support in this initial phase. And um, let's see what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like the new kid that joins a new high school. He's the new kid that comes into town, man. Like he doesn't know anybody. We, we, he just started doing what he's doing and all that. You got to give the staff a chance, man. They just got here. Some people are already ready to crucify them. No, most people aren't, but some of them are. But as I said before on a past podcast, it's not the same song and dance if it's a new coaching staff. So you got to give them time. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do. And like I said, I am a fan of what they got going on right now. Um so we'll see. It's going to be exciting to see how this finishes down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, Bill, thank you for joining me on Getting Swamp, man. And I, I, I always ask this to everybody before I get them off. If you got anything else to say, say it. If not, you can just say, uh, I don't know, you can make fun of me. What do you got? Oh, no, I'm good, man. I think we said it all. And, um, you know, I hope I came across as being fair and objective, and uh, but also ex expressing my uh, cautious optimism and um, as well as my concerns, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't make fun of me, but uh, okay. <laughs> that will do it, man. Uh, thank you for joining me on Getting Swamped, Bill. Hey, no problem, buddy. We'll do it again soon. Ball start. Number one, your money. $100 penalty. Repeat, fourth down. Did you make a mistake and draw that ungodly yellow flag on your last down? That's okay, folks, because your boy, David Soderquist, has you covered. Join Prize Picks right now and use promo code SWAMP to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 on your first deposit. It's that simple. I mean, just last night I made out like a bandit on that UFC fight night between the Rodriguez versus Ortega fight, and I did it in just a matter of seconds. I mean, it's really that easy. Prize Picks offers every sport you can think of. I mean, like NFL, college, NBA, college basketball, MLB, soccer, MMA, and more. 
There's just so many options, especially during the offseason. PrizePix is safe. It offers fast withdrawals. I got my money securely, safely, and it was just fast and simple. And you can get your money today, too. Go to prizepicks.com right now and enter promo code SWAMPED when signing up, and you'll get a deposit match up to $100. prizepicks.com, the easiest and fastest way to play daily fantasy sports. Ready, set. You're listening to Getting Swamped with David Soderquist. All right, that was the five-star nerd Bill Sykes answering some recruiting questions that came to mind as I've been lurking in some of those Twitter spaces on Twitter to listen and get a good gauge on the mind of some Florida Gator fans. So if you see me chilling in a Twitter space or lurking and I don't really talk that much, that's exactly what I'm doing because it helps me ask the questions that are concerning to Florida Gator fans. And right now, during the offseason, most of it's going to be recruiting until the season starts. So Bill Sykes, man, as I call him, the recruiting encyclopedia, uh, you folks remember Encarta? You know, Windows 3.1, Windows 95? <laughs> no, probably not. If you're an old fart like me, you do, but you probably don't. But besides that fact, Bill has an extensive recruiting knowledge based on statistical facts, and he's the best at what he does, folks. I mean, so I I hope that answered some recruiting concerns, if you had any. And, and I know it's just July, so... I'm all good when it comes to recruiting right now, but Bill just gives it to you straight up, man. He's no BS, no beating around the bush. It, it, if it's going well so far, he'll tell you. If it's not, he'll tell you too. But as I said, I talk to him on the phone almost daily, and he does love what the staff is doing. And hopefully Billy Napier's bump class can be better than the past head coaches coming up down the stretch. And as I said at the beginning of the program, folks, SEC Media Day is coming up at Friday Night Lights. So, an exciting next few weeks we have coming up, and you can almost smell it. It's, it's, it's almost that time to scratch a little bit of that itch of SEC football with media days, and I'll have all of that coverage here for you folks next week on Getting Swamped. But folks, that will do it for this episode of Getting Swamped, your latest in football statistics, special guest, and social media. Thank you for listening to Getting Swamped.